Uh, turn in your ESV Bible or turn in your bulletin to our passage of Scripture uh, that is not John chapter 3, but John chapter 7, verse 53, and reading through the 8th chapter, uh, the 11th verse. Wayne, I, I, I'm quoting John 3.16 in today's sermon. You see, the Holy Spirit always takes care of you even when you don't realize that he's doing that. And I don't say that facetiously. That's really the truth. And uh, I've seen him take care of me in situation after situation. Uh, we uh, will begin to read at verse 53. Let's read the Word of God together. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives... Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women." So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This particular passage of Scripture that we find only in John's Gospel is a story like many other stories that we find in the Gospels in the sense that we know that the scribes and Pharisees are always trying to trap Jesus to make him look bad, to somehow discredit him in the eyes of the people because his popularity was so great. And we see these kinds of stories over and over again. I mean, think about one that we find in Matthew's gospel about whether the Jews should pay taxes to Caesar or not. The scribes and Pharisees do much the same thing they wait until Jesus is surrounded by a huge group of people. They come sometimes with all sorts of compliments about Him that probably they don't mean. And then they try and put a question to Him that's designed to have no right answer. It's a, like a catch-22 where anything you do is going to be wrong. The tax question is one of those type questions. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar 
or not. You know, if Jesus approves the payment, He offends those in the nationalistic parties of the Jewish people of His day and time. If He disapproves payment, He could be reported as being disloyal to the Roman Empire. And as you know, Jesus' wisdom won in that situation, as it always does, with His perfect answer, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Now, our passage this morning is the same type of story where, once again, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to best Jesus, if you will, trying to trap Him in front of the people with another uh, kind of situation that's designed to bring Him discredit in the eyes of the people. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women, but, but what do you say about her? It's the same sort of trap because just look at his options. If he says no, he repudiates the law of Moses. If he permits the stoning, he flaunts the law of Rome. If he says that they should let her go, it comes across as if he's condoning sin. And finally, if he condemns her, he's not the the wonderful, merciful Christ that the crowds believe him to be. This man who even eats with publicans and sinners. It's a masterful trap. And the Pharisees and the scribes know it, and that's why they continue to push Him. You know, when they first ask their question, Jesus bends down and begins to write something in the dirt, and they think that they've got Him trapped, and they keep pushing. Come on, what do you think? What's your answer? What's it going to be? Now, I don't know about you, but this is the type of passage that really makes me dislike the Pharisees because their hypocrisy flows all over this story. You know, they claim to be teachers and upholders of the law, and yet here they were telling Jesus what the law said about this particular circumstance. And yet they ask His opinion. They already know what the law says. They already know what the law teaches. They've already quoted it correctly. Why do they need His opinion? except a trapping. Now, we may despise the Pharisees because of their cruelty, because of their hypocrisy, but if we do, we're no better off than they are in the first place. For we're only saying that we're right and they're wrong, and that's exactly what they were saying to Jesus. We're right and you're wrong. And, and I put it this way because we see things lots of times, not necessarily as they are, but we see things as we are. All of our projections on to others, all of our evaluations of others, all the times that we judge someone else are but reflections of ourselves. As someone has said, in controversial matters, we always claim to see both points of view. We see all those who are wrong, and then we see what we think about the situation. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 21.2. 
He says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. The Pharisees' way was right to them. Our way is right to us. But you know, the writer of Proverbs adds something else to that verse. He says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the heart. And that's what Jesus did in this particular situation. He weighed the hearts of the Jewish leaders and He could see something, I believe, worse in the accusers than what He found in the accused. This woman, degraded and guilty as she was, appeared almost innocent next to these hypocritical, conniving blind guides of the children of Israel. So Jesus shifts the attention away from Himself and away from this woman and puts it back on the accusers themselves with this wonderful statement, Let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. And we're told here that Jesus bent down once more and began to write in the dirt, giving His words time to have their full impact. And it must have not taken very long because we're told they began to go away, beginning with the oldest people there in the group, those who supposedly were wisest and could see that once again Jesus' wisdom had the exact answer He needed. Finally, just two of them remain. From all of that original accusing crowd, the sinner in all of her degradation and shame, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all of His perfection, in all of His holiness and righteousness. And it's a part of this story that I most want to see because I know that one day I too will stand right before Jesus in all of my sin and all of my shame, and I'll stand there in His holiness and His glory and His righteousness, and, and, and it will come down to the verdict that He gives in that moment. And, and my life on this world will be past amendment and change, and everything will hang on the verdict that He gives. The Pharisees had received a verdict from their own consciences based upon Jesus' statement to them, and they all went away. And only the woman remains. And Jesus looks up at her and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now think about that a moment. Why doesn't Jesus condemn this woman? I think it was because it wasn't necessary. She'd already been condemned by others. It's possible that her own conscience had condemned her as she stood there or probably knelt there in front of this righteous God. And finally, the law of God had condemned her. 
And the one who transgresses God's law always stands condemned. You see, following his own criteria, Jesus could have cast the first stone. But he chose not to go that route. And I think it's because he had something better to offer her other than condemnation. You know, John puts it this way in his third chapter, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Probably most everyone here today could quote that. But John 3.17 is just as important. For God sent not His Son into the world to do what? To condemn the world. But that the world through Him might be saved. Has no one condemned you? I don't condemn you either. That's not why God sent Jesus into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to offer the free gift, the free offer of the gospel, of salvation, of redemption through Him and His blood given on the cross. It was a gift this woman desperately needed. For how could she turn back the pages of her life and make different decisions? You know, we can't either. We can't go back and change the mistakes we've made in the past. We need that same free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And it's there for us, just as it is for this woman. Because we too stand condemned by God's law. We stand condemned by others. We stand condemned at times by our own consciences. Yet God is in the world reconciling the world to Himself in Jesus Christ And that's why this story before us in this passage of Scripture is such a wonderful story because it perfectly shows God's free gift of forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. For Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And He said those words in that order. Think if it had been the other way around. Think if he had said, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. Then we're right back to works righteousness like we see in all of the Old Testament. That if we don't sin, then we aren't condemned. And that we we would have a problem with that. That's why God had to send Jesus into the world in the first place. Because as the Apostle Paul makes clear in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so we all stand condemned. We are sinners. And we are condemned already. But God, out of His great love and mercy unto us through His Son, Jesus Christ, says, Neither do I condemn you. Even in the midst of your sins, neither do I condemn you because of the price paid by Jesus and His blood shed on the cross. 
I freely give you forgiveness. Now go out and live the life of mercy and compassion and grace to which you've been called, knowing that you can love others out there in the world because I first loved you. See, this is what Paul's getting at in the letter to the Ephesians that we studied a few, a few weeks ago on Wednesday nights, how Paul tells us that we're to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. In all humility and patience, forbearing in love, that we're to take off the ways of the world each and every day and put on the ways of Jesus Christ. That's how we apply this passage. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. You know, go and sin no more. It's not that she's never going to sin again. Of course she is. But you're each day trying to put off the old ways of the world, the sinful ways before you're saved. And each day you're trying to put on the ways of Jesus Christ. You see, through Jesus, He offers us those same words. Neither do I condemn you. It's almost like this passage is a painting, a, a portrait, if you will, of Paul's wonderful good news in Romans 5, 8, for God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Christ was sent into the world that this woman right there in her sin, he's ready to die for her just like he's died for you and me in our sins. John Newton, as most of you are aware, was an 18th century slave trader, all caught up in that business of selling human flesh for a profit until the grace of God took hold of his heart and converted him. And he was called to preach the gospel. And he wrote hymns, hymns like that great hymn we all know, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Have you ever thought about the sound of grace? That's what this woman heard that day. She probably wasn't even looking up at Jesus when she heard the sound of amazing grace. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. This is one of the many passages in Scripture that gives us a principle that I mention to you from time to time. And that principle is that God is always more interested in our futures than our past. Because we see that with this woman and we see it over and over again in this amazing grace that comes to us in the gift of Jesus Christ. 
in words that he says to you and me as he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Put off the old ways of the world. Put on the ways of Jesus Christ. May God bless us to that end. To his honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.